Good evening, Sunday night, Godspeak. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so for those, uh, those people who aren't gone doing finals right now are recovering from finals currently. That's probably, that's, that's the story, yeah. <laughs> You're going to get a dose of the Holy Spirit tonight. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. Raise your hand nice and high if you don't have a Bible, and we will get some to you. Zach, you go get some extra ones, please. Thank you. Look at him run. Nice. <laughs> Raise your hand. Keep your hand raised nice and high. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you one. We'll get you some. We are going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 this evening. If you will join with me. Zach's got more Bibles over here. So raise your hand. Raise your hand nice and high. Thank you, Zach. Thank you very much. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 this evening. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We are uh, endeavoring through our, our uh, week one of three weeks of Advent. Well, really four weeks. Um, well, four sermons, uh, three weeks. We're going to be doing this week and next week, and then we're going to have our Christmas Eve service, and then the week following Christmas, we'll have our last Advent message, which is a, a post-Advent message. And the Advent, uh, it, it simply means uh, the coming of someone important, awaiting someone important, the coming of somebody of significance. And so we are going to be studying not only the Advent, the coming of Jesus, but the coming of, of God to man. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, in Advent, during the Christmas season, we tend to focus, uh, most, of our, most of our attention is on baby Jesus, right? Baby Jesus. Um, and I, I really do believe that the Father and the Holy Spirit are neglected in these stories, and they are just as much prevalent. And so that's what we're going to be undergoing this evening. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, Something that we haven't done for a while, but do you know what? This is a classic message, and I'd, I'd like you all to stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, please. We're showing reverence for God's word by standing. Hey, you know, it used to be that everyone that was being taught stood and the teacher sat. You guys know that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll only be standing for scripture. But Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at, the, at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I have not known a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be, uh, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, I love this answer. Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we are uh, eagerly awaiting your Holy Spirit to show us on what you would have tonight. God, you know this of me and my heart, that I am weak and without you, nothing. Father, I pray that all of us here, not just me as a preacher, but me especially as a preacher, but all of us here would decrease that you might increase in us. Father, that we would humble ourselves to not think of ourselves uh, in such an arrogant way as that we cannot learn anything from you. But Lord, that we would receive gladly your Holy Spirit and the interpretation of your word. We adore you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a seat, guys. Have a seat. Now, the Christmas story, if you haven't been in church for a long time, if you're new to Christianity, um, no doubt you have heard the Christmas story, but it's almost like a fairy tale, isn't it? It's, it, it almost seems like a fairy tale. You know, you, you have this random girl uh, who's a virgin. An angel comes to her and says, listen, you're going to like hold the son of God like in here, right? She's like, okay. You know, then they ride on a donkey for miles. They go and they have a baby and there's a huge star and explosions and wise men and sheep. You know, there's just all, all sorts of stuff. It sounds like a Disney movie. And it, it just, it seems the entire story perplexes me a little bit. It does. I will be honest with you that this entire story, it, it, it does leave many questions for me when I read it. You know, it's very easy to take a story in the Bible because we've heard it so much to not analyze it in the way we should. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give you an example. So many people have grown up with the story of David and Goliath, and it's such an often used story, even in our culture, even in the secular culture. David and Goliath is an often told story, which means that rarely we digest it as it should be, right? An interpretation of how does this reflect Jesus, you know? And I think with the Christmas story, it's, it's such a widely accepted story that we really don't take time to dive into it. Dig deep, right? Saying, wow, great, Jesus came. All right, let's pray. Let's get out of here, right? But there, but there are, are serious truths in this. But this story does perplex me. We open this book, getting ready, because Luke is starting off, as all the Gospels do, they're starting off the story of the redemption of the world. You guys realize that? This book is the story of how God redeems humanity, right? And, and if we're going to start with the story of the Redeemer, about how, how the creator God of the universe is going to come down in the form of a child and live an entire life. And when it comes to choosing, when it comes to choosing the woman who is going to raise and take care of the savior of the world, don't you think we would get a little more detail than this? Right? It, we're, we're diving into the story of how God redeems the world and it's not going to give us more detail on the woman who changed his diapers, right? Think about this. If the God of the universe is going to humble himself in the form of a baby, he had to particularly choose a woman. He had, he had, to, he had to choose specifically who this person, this, Mary's an important figure, Right? And so in my mind, I, I, when it comes time for God to tell us how he chooses the one to raise Christ incarnate, the only detail is that a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. 
That's, that's pretty much all we get about her and her background. That kind of leaves me, it just, it, it, it kind of doesn't satisfy me. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't satisfy me completely. I'm like, who is Mary? Who is Mary that God would choose her to raise Christ incarnate? If the God of the universe is going to come down, who is Mary? Why Mary? And all we know about Mary is a few things. We know that she's from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is in the region of Galilee, and Nazareth was really, uh, one of the disciples referred to, like, nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? Nazareth was kind of considered, it was, it was kind of a nothing town. It was a nothing, kind of a sketchy neighborhood. It wasn't that great, Nazareth. And so we know that Mary was from Nazareth. We know that she is a virgin, Right, so we know that it's impossible. It, it, it was impossible for her um, to have, have have kind of had Jesus and just call him the Son of God. Right, she had to be a virgin. This is what was prophesied thousands and thousands of years prior to Christ's birth. And then we also know that she was from the lineage of David. Now it's very important that she and Joseph both were from the lineage of David, as prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. Right, that he might be born in Bethlehem. Right Now, the only way for God to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem right, was for the Romans to have the census at that time. So God would even use a secular society to fulfill his will. Let that, let that bring you hope, right? Let that bring you hope that God would even use a, success, a, a secular, a non-God-abiding society to glorify himself. Don't fear, okay? Don't fear. And so these are really the only things we know about Mary, that, that she's from Nazareth, that she's a virgin, that, and, and that she is from the lineage of David. Now, this is a story of the redemption of mankind, and this is all the detail we get. These, these are seemingly the only credentials we have for Mary, that she was from an obscure city, she was a virgin, and that she could trace her lineage back to royalty. A lot of people in this room are that, right? Okay? A virgin from a non-famous city, and you can maybe your relatives were on the Mayflower or something, right? Some of some of you have these credentials, and it seems almost like it takes more to get a job as a barista at Starbucks than it does to raise the king and savior of the world, right? It almost seems that way when we look at Mary's credentials here, when we look at her qualifications as to what it took for her to find favor from God. This perplexes me. And God sends her an angel and says, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. Mary is favored. Mary is favored from what evidence we have in Scripture. From what evidence we have in Scripture, guys. Mary's favor was not merited. God choosing her was really of no importance that she had. Besides, she was a virgin and she was from the lineage of David, which there were many. She was a sweet, humble child of God. That was it. She was a sweet, humble child of God who, who showed no worldly importance. That was Mary. The most favored one of God, the most blessed among women. 
And Mary knows this. She, she comes to God and, and, and he hasn't told her yet what, what, what's about to go down, right? He's just, a, an angel just pops in, right? She's like, it, she's doing her thing, you know, she's doing her chores or whatever. And an angel pops in and says, you are favored among God. And she's like, whoa. And she says this, she says, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Why are you in my room, right? Why are you here? Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his name and and, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. (laughs) Instead of Instead of the angel telling Mary why she was chosen, Mary, listen, hey, we had a, uh, there was a raffle in heaven and you won, right? You won. You get to bear the name of Christ. You get that, right? And it wasn't, hey, Mary, listen, we've been keeping tabs on your work, how how much you've been going to temple, right? Your temple attendance, right? We've been checking that out. Um, We're, you know, we've been kind of seeing how you interact with babies and stuff. And we've been comparing you to other nannies that we've been interviewing. And it's about time. And I, and I think you, we want to go forward with you in, in raising our, our savior, right? It was, it wasn't like that. The angel doesn't come up to Mary and and then start explaining why Mary was chosen. He just starts talking about the greatness of Jesus. He doesn't go into detail as why Mary was favored at all. He just said, you're favored, Mary. You are favored. He simply just declares who Jesus is, who he's going to be. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. He says he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. The emphasis in this story, guys, is not of the greatness of the mother, but the greatness of the son. The entire story, it it, it is not based, it is not based on anything Mary did, though she found favor with God. And we find out later on that she, she shows characteristics that I wish I had. And that I strive for. But in, the, in, in essence, when it came time to choose, God chose because he chose. That's an answer that we don't like. We want God to choose us for some specific reason, right? We want God to choose us because there's something special about us that not just something special about us, but something special about us that isn't special of other people, right? <laughs> we don't, we don't want to just be good at something. We want to be better at others, right? That's something. Oh, yeah. Struck a chord. Not, no one's being honest here. Okay. I want to be that way, right? I don't just want to be good at something. I want to be better than everybody else, okay? That's just me. Maybe you're not that way. But Mary asked this logical question. Mary asked a very logical question. She says, listen, I know I'm young, but I know how babies are made, right? Um, it takes two. Uh, uh, how could I have a baby, right? I haven't known a man. I, I, I'm, I'm engaged to this awesome guy named Joseph, and I hope one day to have children with him. But, but listen, I, I haven't known him. You, I can't do this, Right? I love the angel's response to that question because Mary's like, hey, hey, listen, I'm, I'm a virgin. I can't, I, I don't, 
there's nothing there, right? And, and, and the angel's response is perhaps the best answer to anyone who has, who has ever had doubt. If you've ever had doubt in God, if you've ever doubted God and his ability to use you, or if you've ever contemplated some shortcomings you've had or some ways that God may not use you because you have A, B, and C wrong with you, or you haven't accomplished this, right? You haven't graduated from this first. If any of you are struggling with that, listen to this angel's answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. That's his answer. He doesn't go into the biology of how it's going to happen. He doesn't. He just says the Holy Spirit will take care of it. And you will be overshadowed by the power of God. Meaning it's not about you. It's not about you. The angel is essentially saying to Mary, it doesn't matter. How is this going to happen, God? Hey, how is this going to happen? How, God, how are you going to accomplish things through me? And, and God simply says, does it matter how? I'm going to do it. Do, do you really need to know how I'm going to do things? Do you really want to know? Because whether you know or not, I'm going to do it. So why not just be blown away by me? Right? Why not, why not just be dumbfounded by my power? Why not be overshadowed? It doesn't matter. God's spirit will fill you and his power will make you irrelevant. Entire theologies, entire theologies have been, been formed by the question, why Mary? Entire theologies, guys, have been, their foundation is found, why Mary? Why Mary? Why Mary? Why Mary? You want to know why Mary? As we see in scripture, you want to know why Mary? Because she allowed herself to be over, overshadowed by God. It, it, it doesn't matter why Mary. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what type of quality she had about herself. No matter who it was, that person was going to be overshadowed. Meaning she was going to disappear at the glory of God. So, so do you know what? It could have been, it could have been Beth, right? It, it, it could have been some other Mary from another place. It could have been Judith. It could have been Ruth. It could have been any type of girl that was a virgin from the lineage of David back then. Why Mary? It doesn't matter why. It could have been any of them. Because no matter who it was, God was going to overshadow them. They were going to disappear underneath the glory of God. Her response is exactly that. She says, behold, you're made servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. When, when, God, said, when God says, listen, hey, I know, but do you, know, it's, you don't matter anyways. My Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you are going to be overshadowed by me. You're going to be overshadowed by me. And then Mary just simply says, okie dokie, right? She just says, okay, let it be so. Let it be according to what you have said. I'm your maidservant. I'm your servant. And I know no matter what I say, whether I say yes or no, it's going to happen anyway. So I might as well concede and say, yes, I think a lot of you are in that place in your faith right now. 
I think if a lot of you are in that place in your faith where God has clearly shown you what he wants for your life, and, and no matter whether you say no or yes, he's going to get his way anyways. So you need to be at this part in your life right now where you just got to say, well, I know God's going to get his way no matter what, so I might as well say yes now than be drugged there and say yes later, Right? Sometimes some of you, God's telling you something super specific that he wants to happen in your life, a direction he wants you to go. And you're kind of saying, well, I think I need to graduate from this first, or I think I need to be done with this, or I think I need to kind of see where this relationship goes, right? And, and, and guess what? God's going to get his way no matter what. So you might as well just drop everything and obey him now, right? That's a word for just one of you in here, I think, you know, I, th- I think that's just a word that the Lord had, you know who you are. Right, You can come talk to me afterwards. God chooses those, guys. God chooses those who disappear under the glory of God. You want to know, how, how do I be chosen by God? How, how, do I, how do I be chosen? How do I be used? God's going to choose those who will disappear under his glory, who will be overshadowed by the power of God. It says right here, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit was the means by which Christ, listen, because I, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit, it's not, he's not preached enough, he's not articulated enough, and he's not understood enough, right? And so I, I want to take this time in the Christmas season to help you guys realize that the coming of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit is what was accomplished on Christmas Day. The Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit actually preceded Christ. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit is the one who came upon Mary. The Holy Spirit was the means by which Christ in all works that God ever did through Christ was conceived and accomplished. The Holy Spirit is the originator behind Christ. He is Christ's spirit. And the very Holy Spirit that allowed Christ to be conceived in Mary was also the Holy Spirit that rose him up again on the third day after his crucifixion. And it is then the same Holy Spirit that Christ would give to you and I that we might have power here on earth. The Holy Spirit is the essence of who Christ is and the source of his power. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Saying essentially, the Holy Spirit is the one who gave breath into the lungs of Jesus when he was in the womb of Mary. And he is also the one that rose Christ up from the dead after his death. And he is the same Holy Spirit who will revive your dead and broken life in the midst of your brokenness. So the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead wants to revive your heart. If you are a Christian, no doubt many of you have heard the phrase, allow Jesus into your heart, right? We, we've heard that phrase. Why don't you allow Jesus in your heart? Or I accepted Jesus into my heart, right? Right? That is a very Americanized Christian way of saying that. Nobody else says that. You guys know that? No, nobody else besides Western Christians use that term. Oh, I allow Jesus into my heart. Like, you're welcome, Jesus. Right? You're welcome allowing you into my heart. Right? Come on in. Right? I've, I've tidied up for you already. Um, you know, sit down. Do you, can I get you a drink? You know, that type of thing. We're, 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 oh, yeah, we're inviting Jesus into our hearts. 
when, when you say, I invited Jesus into my heart, I understand what you're saying. What you're essentially saying biblically is that the Holy Spirit of Christ dwells in me. Right? When you're saying, I accepted Jesus into my heart, what you're essentially saying is, I have allowed the Holy Spirit to take over my life. To take hold of my life. You guys notice how a change of language kind of actually shifts the way we need to look at our Christian faith? It is not, I'm allowing Jesus to do things through me. I'm allowing him into my life. It is, the Holy Spirit now controls everything about me. I, 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 have, I have invited the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of Christ has come upon me and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? So, so this, this kind of changes the paradigm for you. If you accepted Christ in your heart and you thought that that was gonna mean you were gonna use Christ kind of as a, a guidance counselor, you're wrong, right? It, it, is, it is actually, I have allowed Christ to come into my life and as he raised Christ from the dead, as the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead, so my dead, dying, and sinful life will be raised and reconciled to Christ. That is what it means. When Christ came, his perfection and his mission was only accomplished by the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, Christ's Spirit. So when he died, he took away our imperfection, and then when he rose again, he gave us his perfection in the form of his Holy Spirit. If you don't believe me, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Everyone turn to Ephesians chapter 1, please. So when we ask the question, why Mary? How can I find favor with God like Mary did? How can I be used by God like Mary was? I guess we don't want exactly what Mary got, right? Like not, we don't want a baby in us. But we do want to be used by Mary. We do want to have Christ dwell in us, right? We do want to be used. We do want to be known as people who are favored by God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted, in the beloved. Guys, we're entering into Christmas, right? We're entering into this Christmas season. This is Advent. This is the expectation of Christmas, awaiting the coming of Christ. In that, we, we talk about gifts. We talk about gifts. It says right here, in verse Seven, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God's gift to us was that he sent his son. God's incredible gift to us is that he sent his son to die for us. That our sins would be atoned for. I want you to think about this, guys. I want you to think about it in terms of this. How many of you have read the book of Hosea before? It's a very obscure book in Bible. Um, Hosea, Hosea, I really suggest you read it. It's about a prophet of God and a prostitute. 
It's about a prophet and a prostitute. And essentially, the story of Hosea goes like this. Hosea was told by God, God says, hey, I want you to marry this woman, Gomer. Beautiful name, right? Gomer. Mm, very elegant. Right? I called dibs on naming my firstborn daughter after that. Megan? Good. Cool. Gomer. Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute, right? So Hosea, Hosea says... Hosea, uh, Hosea says, God, you, you want me to marry a prostitute? And God's like, yeah, I want you to marry a prostitute. So Hosea marries Gomer. And what happens then is that Gomer continues to steal from Hosea, to cheat on Hosea, and to sell herself to other men still for nice food, elegant jewelry, money, and all of these things. Gomer actually ends up having several children with other men other than Hosea. And Hosea, all the while, is continuing to be faithful to his wife, Gomer. Why? Because the Lord told him to. So, so Gomer just keeps giving herself to, to anyone who will give her anything. She keeps selling her body, right? She keeps selling her soul. She keeps going astray till eventually Gomer finds herself in slavery, She finds herself into slavery. What started out as her getting nice things by selling herself has now resulted in people treating her as an object. And so what has happened is Gomer is on a pedestal being sold naked in the streets. A sign with a price. Men bidding off of her wanting to buy her. And Hosea, the husband that she has abandoned and cheated on and and ran away from, betrayed time and time again, the husband that she has stolen from, not only stolen in material goods, but also in emotional goods as well. Hosea looks at his prostitute of a wife and he says, I will buy her. I'll buy her. I'll buy her back. That's what redeemed means. Redeemed means to buy back. That is is one of the most raw pictures of the gospel that you can get. That we have sold ourselves to everything and anything that will give us some sort of pleasure. That we will sell ourselves. We will sell our bodies, our souls, our emotions, our desires. We will sell everything just to get just a little bit. And we will find ourselves as slaves to these things. And we are continually running away from our first love, who is God. And God says, no, no, no. I love them far too much to allow them to remain in slavery. I will buy them back with my blood. I will purchase them on the cross. I will pay for all of their sins and all of their transgressions. I will suffer the penalty so she doesn't have to. We as God, God's bride. You know, it's a very nice picture, right? God's bride. Like, he's our husband. We're his bride. It's a super nice picture. But the Bible calls us an adulterous, harlotrous, and ugly bride that always runs away from God, but God continues to be faithful. It's a crazy thought that God would give us that gift of grace, gift of mercy, I love what John Piper says. 
Listen to this quote. It, it, it dumbfounds me. Some of you might have heard it before, but John Piper, a pastor, he says this. He says, God in eternity looked upon me for seeing my faultness, my pride, my failures, my sin, and said, I want that man in my family. I will pay for him to be in my family with my son's life. God looking upon you with all your failures, knowing exactly who you are. You may put on an image of who you are to your friends, to your family, to your church, but God knows exactly who you are at your core. And even foreseeing all the bad things that you will do in the future, he said, I will pay for them personally with my son's blood, also that I could get them in my family. What a beautiful, beautiful image. What a beautiful sacrifice. That's love. That's love. And that is the gift that God has given us through Jesus. The fact that God desires us to be with him and his family ought to blow your minds. (laughs) That he would give us a gift as undeserved as everlasting life and inheritance in his family so amazing not only that but this is this is what i want to close with not only that but in john chapter 17 god describes us as a gift so so god has given us so many gifts but guess what christ and redeeming you bought you back so that he could put you at the altar of god and say here is your gift father Did you know that not only Christ is a gift to us, but you, you brothers and sisters are a gift to God? That God has redeemed you, that Christ has bought you back all that so he might present you to God the Father and say, look, I brought back your children. They're back. You are a gift. Did you know that? You're a gift. And we spend so much time thinking about our faults and our failures and we don't realize that we are a gift. Yes, we mess up. Yes, it it, it took the highest cost for God to redeem us, but man, it says to the pleasure of his will, to the good pleasure of his will, he is pleased with what he got out of this deal. To you, to, to, to him, sacrificing his son for your soul, was worth it. And I don't think I think about that enough, to be honest. I think about, I, I always, I think about how God redeemed me and how I always have to work to kind of prove to God I'm worth that purchase. I'm worth that purchase. God, I know that you paid for me with your blood. I will continue to prove to you that I'm worth it, that, that you didn't make a mistake by sacrificing your son for me. You didn't make a mistake. I am worth it. I am worth it. And God's saying, calm down. I know you're worth it. And God wants to tell you, brothers and sisters, who have spent so much time in self-loathing and hatred, that you're worth it to him. You're worth it. You were worth every drop of blood. You are worth every single lash on his back. Verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1 says this. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory.
The Holy Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of your inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the name of Christ. The Holy Spirit is is your badge that says, I am in God's family. The Holy Spirit is Christ's birth certificate and yours. The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the birth certificate saying, listen, I belong to God. And I'll close with this analogy. I'll close with this analogy. We're, we're approaching Christmas. We're approaching Christmas. And, and all of us either have these memories or we're currently living this. But whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult, you, you get some sort of present on Christmas that you get to unwrap, hopefully. You know, if, if it's small or, or big, it doesn't matter. But we, we all, we, we, we exchange gifts with one another. Now, now when I go back to my family, um, you know, I, I, I hop from house to house, going from family to family. And, and, and when I go to my family's house, I walk through the door and, and Wyatt and Sophie or Sammy and Malia are, are opening their gifts and, and I get to then come and open up my gifts. And when it's time for me to open my gifts, I go to the gifts that are under the tree that have my name on it, right? I'm not going to go to a gift that clearly says Wyatt, right? And, and then open it and say, right on, you know? And then try on his little flannel that he got, like, you know, just walk around. I, I, I'm not, I am not going to take something and unwrap something and claim something that is clearly labeled for somebody else. I want you to think as heaven as one great big Christmas morning. And it's coming time for God to unwrap his presence, his gifts. He is only going to unwrap the gifts that have his name on it. That have the Holy Spirit. That have lived a life that says, I am God's. That my name and Christ's name are synonymous that when you look at me, you see Christ, that, that my life, my life, though as broken as my life may be, it, is, it, is, it belongs to Christ. It, is, it, it bears his name. If you, were to think about, if you were to think about heaven as Christmas morning, and if you were to think about yourself as a gift, and God is coming to unwrap his precious gifts that have been bought by Jesus and his blood, does your life have his name on it? Do you bear the name of your creator? Are you sealed, as it says, are you sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? Are you God's? Because to, to, to God, you're worth buying. You're worth it. But have you allowed yourself to be purchased? When it comes time for God to unwrap the presence, are you one who has his name on it? And are you living as such? Not trying to prove that you're worth the purchase, but simply bearing the name, waiting for God to unwrap you in that beautiful, beautiful day that it will be. And so uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to end with and close with some songs. And 
Here we have communion, and, and there's, a lot, there's a lot here. So here we have communion. Essentially, communion, guys, is me saying I am identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection. I am, I am, I am, I am identifying with the death of Jesus, that I am dying with him. I recognize the sacrifice that he has made on the cross. I am God's. I am God's. He purchased me with his blood, the broken body. He lived a perfect life because I couldn't. He shed his blood. Yes, amen. He shed his blood. He shed his blood here that I may bear his name. And so here's what I want from you guys, because yeah, we, we do communion all the time, but here, communion's mostly for me, guys, so that I can wrap every single sermon into Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's mostly for me, right? It's mostly for me. That no matter what sermon I ever preach, if I have communion here, I have to talk about Jesus, right? I could talk about anything else all the time, but it has to come back to Jesus and who he is. And I, we have it here for you too that you may have come to church for so many different reasons, right? You love hanging out with your friends. You really needed to unwind after a really long week, right? You like the worship music. You like the food at the end. You needed something to do, whatever it may be. But at the end of it all, you came for Jesus. If you participate in communion, it's about Christ. It's about Christ, And so here's what I want from you guys. We are going to worship and we are going to take communion. For those of you who have maybe never said, I want Christ's name on me. I want to bear his name. I want him to redeem me at the end of it all. I want to be that gift for God. If you have never said that before in your life, I'm not going to manipulate with your emotions and do an altar call or whatever. I'm going to say to you simply, If you want that to be true about your life, participate in communion. It's nothing magical, but it is a symbol that Christ died for me and that his blood has purchased me. So if that is you tonight, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time, participate in communion as you participate in worship to say that this is about Christ. My life is about Christ. I, in who I am, bear Christ's name. That's what we're declaring tonight. You may have come for whatever reason you do, but at the end of it, guys, let's come for Jesus. Hey, for some of you, you, you're at the tail end of finals, right? I am too. Man, it was a really long week. Some of you, work has just been nuts, especially during the holidays because you need more money than you have. Right to provide for people that you love and to show them that you care. In the midst of the holiday season that it's supposed to be about Jesus, it starts to become about anything but Jesus. It comes about getting that grade. It comes to working those few extra hours. It comes to providing these presents, these gifts, traveling to this area, hanging out with this family the season where we're supposed to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of his presence and the incarnate Christ who has saved your souls, the season that's supposed to celebrate that just becomes about us. And have you noticed that this this month, if you're like me, this month has been dedicated entirely to you, okay? 
If if you're anything like me, this entire month of finals and holidays and everything has been dedicated solely to you. It's time to sacrifice that and dedicate it to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Lord, we, uh, we come before you. We take communion and Thank you for for your gift of grace. God, it blows my mind that that you would say that I'm worth it. I'm worth your precious blood, Lord, and that I I, I don't feel like I deserve it, and it's because I don't. But I pray that me and my brothers and sisters here, we would just accept it with, with open arms and thankfulness. Thank you for who you are, your cross, your redemptive power. Thank you for coming in a form of a baby and living a life that we couldn't. To give us a life that we can never imagine. Help us tonight, Lord. Help us to make everything about you. Everything about you, Christ. We submit all things to you. And it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.